G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A look at the US White House from a Christian Biblical Perspective. Bill Koenig is our guest. He's been a White House correspondent for more than 15 years. In 1996, Bill began publishing what's known as Koenig's Watch, a weekly summary of important Middle East news from Dallas. He moved to the internet in November of that year and became Koenig International News, uh, which you can discover at watch.org. In February 2004, he authored the book called Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel. It was revised and updated in July 2006. The book's in its 24th printing with 100,000 books in print. He just released a new book only about six or seven weeks ago. It's called Revealed, Obama's Legacy. He also writes a weekly 15-page news report called Koenig's Eye View from the White House that focuses on world news, that's biblically relevant and White House news from a Christian perspective. So look forward to commentary this coming hour uh, with what's happening from the U.S. elections and, of course, with what's been going on in the White House. Bill Koenig joining us from the U.S. Hello, Bill. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Great to be with you. And, Bill, uh, it's evening where you are. I think you're in Texas. Is that the case? Uh, no, Washington, D.C. You're in Washington. Okay. Yes. Uh, so around about 8.30 at night, so we're not likely to be distracted by, uh, by telephone calls <laughs> that'll distract you. So uh, let, me just, let me just start off with, I mentioned a few things there in the introduction. You are coming to Australia very soon, and, uh, and you'll no doubt be talking about your book, Revealed, Obama's Legacy. I mentioned it's been out uh, six or seven weeks. Uh, how's things going for it? What sort of response have you had to the things, the revelations in your book? The response has been fantastic, Neil. I just uh, am so thankful. It's uh, worked its way into uh, major ministries across the country rapidly. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of information in the book that uh, a lot of people haven't connected. You know, we know we knew certain things uh, about what was taking place uh, since Barack Obama took office in uh, 2009. But the purpose of the book is to connect the dots. And a couple national leaders said, I'm so thankful. Uh, they said they were so thankful that I wrote the book because this information needs to be in the public. And what I did, Neil, is I took a lot, a lot of the president's speeches, uh, just verbatim. And, you know, when you read them and uh, you really come to understand what the speeches say and also, uh, you know, events that he's done at the White House uh, – uh, for so-called Easter services, or whether it's uh, his uh, messages at the national prayer events. Uh, you know, when you read them and know the scriptures, you know what the Bible says, and you just go, well, that's a, that's not quite the way that I believe. That's not quite the way I think. So that's the purpose more than anything else. And I finished the final 
uh, chapter in the book, So Help Me God, to kind of put everything in proper perspective. The main purpose of the book, Neil, is to uh, provide this information, inform people, and also give people uh, things to pray about. I guess when you are a politician at whatever level, and the same thing applies to presidents and prime ministers, uh, that you are walking a fine line diplomatically and uh, you do have to juggle everyone's interests all at once. But when you hear Barack Obama referring to God and referring to prayer, uh, sometimes I've had those sorts of thoughts. I wonder which God he's talking about. I wonder what type of prayer he's talking about. Uh, is that the sort of thing that you're talking about with some of the things that, uh, you know, when you read speeches, you, you see that some things don't necessarily add up and, you know, actions obviously speak as loudly or louder than the words that are spoken? Uh, very well put, Neil. Very well put. I, uh, you know, reviewed his uh, speech to the Turkish Parliament uh, right after he became president. Uh, also, I uh, reviewed in great detail his speech uh, in Cairo on June 4, 2009, to the Muslim world. And uh, you know, in that particular speech, he was very pro-Islam. Uh, he talked about as long as he was president, the doors of America would be open, uh, equating. Uh, uh, the plight of uh, of the pilgrims of <laughs> during our Thanksgiving celebration last year to the plight of the refugees from the Middle East and Northern Africa today. Uh, some of his addresses at the national prayer events, when he really, to be quite uh, quite direct, he uh, chastised uh, Christians for t- not to be on their high horse because there's things that have been done in the name of Christianity in the past that were not very good. And uh, at the same time, there were some really serious things taking place with ISIS in the Middle East. And a lot of us didn't think that was uh, very good timing and, and also very, uh, very revealing. And I think one other thing I'll add here, uh, he's shown great emotion about bringing refugees from the Middle East to Northern Africa and the United States. But he has not shown that emotion when it comes to the plight and the persecution of Christians throughout the Middle East. It's interesting, and listeners will be able to cast their own memory back to those early days of Barack Obama's presidency and, uh, you know, when he'd moved into the White House and was juggling which church that he and his family might go along to. And, of course, in the United States, it's been one of those things, it's the unwritten rule, isn't it, that presidents go along to church uh, but uh, but as you're saying, and as we're weaving this into this conversation now, and uh, this preference that somehow or other has overflowed to the Muslim world and has ignored the Christian world, it creates doubt in your mind. Uh, Bill, as you are uh, making an assessment of Barack Obama, where does he sit when it comes to faith? Well, you know, he. Um, I think probably the best place, Neil... Uh, when I was writing this book, I read his chapter on faith in his Audacity of Hope. And by reading that chapter, you get a, a good idea of where he's coming from. Uh, the, the discounting of scriptures uh, having to do with the so-called LGBT agenda, but speaking of, of Big Brother scriptures, uh, you know, the, uh, the Beatitudes address of Christ, uh, being a brother's keeper, you know, from the Old, Old Testament, you know, he just completely avoids scriptures that are contrary to, to his beliefs. 
uh, and also he uh, was he spoke of Christians that were not nice to his mother uh, when uh, she was a younger woman. So he kind of mentioned that, and he also uh, with his position on abortion, LGBT agenda. You know, it doesn't matter what the scriptures say; it's faith on his terms, which was one of my chapters. And also to be, uh, which was very insightful, Neil, uh, before he became, uh, or right at the time he became a candidate in 2007, he met with some national Christian leaders, and he told them that he believed that there were multiple paths to God, that there was a one path as such as Jesus Christ. But he, he continues to call himself a Christian uh, in, in different addresses. But when you look at uh, the things that I've just explained consistent with what the Word of God says from Genesis to Revelation, uh, you, you begin to wonder, and especially when you see this emotion, as I uh, just mentioned, uh, about the Muslim world, about uh, the plight of the refugees, about Islam in America, uh, you know, that kind of thing, you, you begin to wonder. Well, Bill, I guess people would, you know, they, they say, well, why are you so concerned about the faith of an individual? Why are you forensically going over all of these details? And, and, uh, and some might call it nitpicking. But really, when it comes to faith, uh, there is an action that goes along with that. And I know that you are intensely interested in Israel in God's perspective, and therefore the faith of the leader it does actually impact in a practical way as to the decisions that are made. How do you assess uh, eight years of Barack Obama and uh, and his dealings with the nation of Israel? Well, you know, two perspectives here, Neil. First of all, um, you know, in my first book, I, I discuss, you know, what happens to America or any world leader, but specifically American presidents, when they attempt to divide the covenant land excuse me, that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. We have enormous catastrophes happen the same day or within 24 hours, and it's happened over 90 times since October of 1991. We're talking about some of the largest catastrophic catastrophic events happening in America at the very same time. Um, You know, the greater the pressure on Israel to divide their covenant land, the greater the corresponding catastrophe. We're talking about the perfect storm. We're talking about 9-11. We're talking about Hurricane Katrina uh, and and many, many other events. So I started noticing this pattern every time we pressured Israel to do something with their their land that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their everlasting covenant. uh, We had these enormous events. And you know, I, I wrote President Bush, uh, don't touch the land, don't divide the land, uh, and warned him. Uh, I have four letters in my book that I warned him. And, and right after President Obama took office, I sent my book up to uh, Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrod. These are two Jewish guys uh, that were key within his administration, that office within 15 feet of the Oval Office, and, and said, do not divide the land. Uh, this is God's covenant land, and there will be consequences. Uh, one thing, just a caveat here, God has used our American presidents, whether it's Harry Truman, who stood with Israel's right to a state, or whether it was uh, you know, Jimmy Carter's eventual Camp David Accord, whether it was Ronald Reagan having the Iron Curtain come down where Jews were able to leave uh, com- communist countries and work their way uh, to Israel, to come home to Israel. And then uh, President George Herbert Walker Bush, President Bush's father, uh, started the Land for Peace process, the final push, I think, 
that were moving toward that final covenant. So uh, Bill Clinton had a role. George W. Bush birthed uh, the two-state plan, and Barack Obama, um, according to previous Israeli leaders, uh, Michael Oren and others that have worked with the American president, have felt that the kind of support that past presidents have had with Israel, we haven't seen the same thing from Barack Obama. Well, Bill, we'll keep the focus on Barack Obama and his legacy, but let me ask you early in our conversation uh, how you're feeling about the current crop of candidates. Uh, We're talking about Donald Trump. We're talking about Hillary Clinton, uh, those who will be the likely successors into the White House. Uh, You've been following the campaign along closely. Are either of those candidates likely to do any better than Barack Obama when it comes to these issues, and particularly as we talk about the nation of Israel? Yeah, Neil, we've never had a lecture quite like this. I mean, this is just the most incredible, bizarre election. I'm sure it's playing out that way to Australia as well as it is to Europe and the rest of the world. They're going, my gosh, what is happening in America? It is just crazy. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, will be, uh, you know, her husband spent a tremendous amount of time on the peace process. Uh, He invited Yasser Arafat to the White House frequently. Matter of fact, he was the most frequent visitor to the Clinton White House. Um, As Secretary of State, she didn't actively get involved with the peace process. She uh, had George Mitchell do that, and I think that was uh, probably very wise, uh, understanding how difficult it is to make peace between Israel and the Palestinians. So, um, you know, I think uh, it's interesting. Trump has said he has a lot of Jewish friends, His son-in-law is Jewish, who has a very significant role in his campaign. Uh, He has uh, Jewish attorneys and people in his organization that he highly respects. He's got good friends in Israel, and he's very, you know, he's very pragmatic. Uh, He even said something recently, you know, I mean, look how many times Israel has been offered generously. I mean, look how many times Israel's made generous offers to Arafat, and he didn't accept the deal. I mean, Arafat had almost 95% of what he wanted. Uh, it was incredible. And uh, same thing with Olmert, uh, with Abbas. He gave virtually the Palestinians almost everything they wanted, including sovereignty over the holy sites where Arafat never got that. And that wasn't enough. So, uh, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, as well as the seriousness of, of these conflicts with Hamas, the worry of dealing with Hezbollah, uh, giving up the Golan Heights to Syria are giving up Judea and Samaria to Hamas, which is a terror organization that has received funds from Iran in the past. You know, I think from that perspective, Trump will be very pragmatic, and even the extent of if the Palestinians don't lay down their guns and get serious about these offers, then Israel has the right to continue to occupy this land. So that's a long answer, uh, Neil, to your question, but I think that uh, Trump will be more pragmatic than uh, Hillary Clinton. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. It's Neil Johnson with you. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. We are talking about the United States election campaign, but we're also talking about a new book called Revealed, Obama's Legacy. The author of that book is Bill Koenig, U.S. political commentator, editor of the Koenig International News at watch.org. Uh, Bill, uh, let's uh, let's. Uh, we had a call from one listener who couldn't uh, stay on the phone. Says a lot of leaders 
throw the God word around loosely for popularity. Obama is leaving the office, so I'm not that worried about him. But what I'm really concerned about is where Trump and Hillary Clinton's faith is. Any insights into their faith? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Hillary Clinton, uh, has background is a Methodist. Uh, she is not a practicing Methodist. Uh, she has hardly ever addresses anything about her faith. Uh, it just doesn't come up. Uh, Trump, uh, background is a Presbyterian. Uh, he's definitely a, a young Christian at best. Uh, I understand uh, that he has become born again. I, I haven't confirmed that, but I, I have been at two events uh, where Trump has spoken to Christian, a Christian audience. I was in uh, New York a couple months back, and he spoke to 900 of the top national Christian leaders uh, just to you know get familiar with us. Uh, Mike Huckabee was there, Ben Carson. Um, it was a really, really good event. Uh, he asked, you know, uh, James Dobson, David Jeremiah, um, Tony Perkins and others asked questions. Uh, he was straightforward about it. Um, Huckabee said a lot of positive things. In fact, he's, he's, he's been a good father. And he came across well. He, uh, he addressed Israel. He d- addressed LGBT. He talked about the, the military, uh, reinforcing the military. He talked about the importance of uh, Supreme Court justices. Uh, you know, that means a lot for Christians, for sure. And then also uh, religious rights, uh, allowing pastors to say whatever they want to from the pulpit and not, be, uh, not to have their uh, non-profits, nonprofit status uh, jeopardized or their ministry status, status jeopardized. He feels very comfortable. As uh, a matter of fact, at the Value Voter event uh, just a couple weeks ago in the 9-11 weekend, uh, he was uh, very uh, straightforward. He was comfortable. Uh, and the audience was very comfortable with him. I, I, when you say comfort, sometimes he says things, we go, oh, my gosh, where did that come from? Uh, he is, at times, a loose cannon, but he's been a very successful businessman. He certainly has his issues. But uh, when it comes to the Christian community, they're much more comfortable with a uh, Trump presidency because of these commitments I just mentioned than a Clinton presidency. Mm. We'll talk some more about that, and listeners might like to contribute, 1-800-316-316. Let's get back to Barack Obama and his legacy, because in your book, uh, you're not very kind to Barack Obama at all. Uh, You say he ran roughshod over the U.S. Constitution. Uh, he undermined the American judicial system. He's the world's number one promoter of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Uh, you say all sorts of other things. He directed a destructive transformation of the U.S. military, a Muslim apologist and defender of Islam in America. Now, we could have tackled those uh, one at a time, and there's plenty more controversy there. But uh, the whole image of an American president uh, it isn't the sort of image that uh, we think of uh, of historical uh, Christian-founded American presidents. Uh, it has been a very big departure, hasn't it, uh, Bill, from uh, from what is typically is seen as that evangelical Christian leadership? Absolutely, Neil. I think when you mention uh, controversial, I think uh, the people, the Christians that see it, that are God-fearing Christians that believe in God and from Genesis to Revelation of the Scriptures and have a great love and a passion for the Lord and the spreading of the gospel uh, to have a president that has not been favorable uh, in uh, as far as his policies are concerned. And that was a purpose the Lord really put in my heart as I was writing the book, is to use his speeches, use his 
uh, messages. Use the people that he brings to the White House for major Easter events. It was a consortium of, of a lot of different people, and that was that's the important thing. Is you know under the the norm standard norms of America, with a love of Judeo Christian values. Uh, when you look at the policies that he's had, uh, moving civil rights above religious rights, uh, the LGBT agenda, his position of the covenant land of Israel, uh, his address to uh, the the Muslim world in June of 2009. I, I have the speech, and I critiqued a lot of the paragraphs, and there was just a lot of inaccuracy, and it was just it just was a fault faulted, and I and I. I put those. I really, more than anything else, Neil, I provide the information. I do the best I can not to take a position outside of just providing the information and letting people form their own conclusion. And, and that's the important thing. Um, that I have no other reason but to have these things brought to the light so we understand what's taking place. Uh, let's just touch on the homosexual marriage issue for a moment. Uh, in Australia, we don't have uh, legislation for same-sex marriage. In Australia, they call it marriage equality. In the US, we've watched that uh, that institution of marriage fall uh, under the Supreme Court decision. But of course, uh, it was Obama who uh, supported that change. Uh, how do you reflect on what's happened in the US since that change? Was it all uh, just those who beforehand were saying the sky is falling, or have the things developed, uh, Bill, in in such a way that uh, that Christians ought to be very concerned about those things? Well, a couple things. Uh, when he was running for office the first time, uh, he, he said he favored civil unions. Uh, later on, uh, his uh, campaign chairman, David Axelrod, said Obama's always been in favor of same-sex marriage. That was his position from the beginning. He just w- wanted to make sure he got elected, and so he said he endorsed civil unions. In May of uh, 2012, he officially uh, came out for same-sex marriage. Uh, he appointed two Supreme Court justices, Kagan and Sotomayor, that made sure he had, was able to get the 5-4 vote on June 26th of last year uh, to be able to pass that. Uh, the big thing here is we had over 30, it was around 33, 34 states. This is, the vo- this is America, the Republic of America. You had 33, 34 states that said no. They voted no. But Obama placed judicial activists in positions. Uh, He and his attorney general, uh, Holder, refused to defend defense of marriage. He was committed to getting rid of uh, don't ask, don't tell in the military. So this this has been his agenda all along. And even in his book, uh, uh, The Audacity of Hope, in his chapter in Faith, talked about how angry he would get when he heard a pastor talk about the LGBT-type agenda. So uh, the main thing here is when you have a majority of states, a majority of people in states say no, but the judicial activists take over and eventually the Supreme Court, uh, you know, it, it was a bad day for Christians. There is no doubt about it. Here in Australia, of course, commentators are concerned about freedom of religion, freedom of speech. You mentioned where Donald Trump might stand if he's elected and guaranteeing pastors an ability to speak freely from the pulpit. But has there been any sort of clamping down on the pulpit under Barack Obama since the marriage decision? 
Uh, great question again, Neil. Uh, the big thing that Obama and his media, which is about 85 to 90 percent of the media, is pro-democratic party. They're liberal. And they, when someone, whether it's a state like North Carolina or Georgia or Indiana or Arizona, uh, when they have their legislature or a governor or both, uh, you know, make decisions based on this uh, LGBT agenda, I mean, they're chastised. I mean, horribly chastised. And what they've attempted to do is anything said negative. Uh, to this agenda has been considered hate speech, and they have been very effective at that. As a matter of fact, about six weeks ago, the Civil Rights Commission put out a, a short uh, paper that's going to uh, work its way into a, lar- a larger paper. Their plan and their call is to move civil rights into a position that is over religious rights, and they mentioned a couple examples uh, of some past things that have happened uh, in America. And they said that religious rights are dangerous and civil rights need to trump religious rights. So that was and that's under Obama's leadership. They are attempting to stop free speech and anybody that speaks against it or any state that takes against it, they are chastised publicly. So when you say civil rights, you're talking about race and you're talking about sexuality primarily, I imagine, uh, above religion. So uh, religion, takes a, religion takes a, uh, a demotion by way of uh, importance in the U.S. Yes, what happened is uh, when Obama, the day he took office, uh, January 20, 2009, the White House website put up the LGBT agenda and put it under the civil rights area. At first, a lot of black American leaders uh, were were furious. They said, that's not a civil right. It, it's, a moral, it's a moral right. And the civil rights is, for the most part throughout history, been very much uh, in favor and helpful to the black Americans. And so they were not very happy about that fact. And it was a very clever thing by putting it into civil rights and then um, – To be quite honest, there's over 250 LGBT activists in every major part of the U.S. government under Barack Obama, and they have had an agenda that they have put in place. And, you know, it's still a very small percentage of our population that has that lifestyle, but they've been able to, uh, to, for the lack of a better word, masterfully uh, move this into America with, uh, with the help of the media and the president. Bill, you're coming to Australia. What sort of things are you going to be speaking to Australian audiences about? Because you'll have some speaking engagements. What's the primary uh, thrust of your visit? Uh, The main thrust is I'll be speaking up in Townsville uh, with Christian Friends of Israel, uh, Patrick Russell's group, and uh, we're going to have a conference that's going to be focused on the Lord's coming and it'll be, it'll be a lot on uh, Israel, the Middle East, Bible prophecy, and that'll be most of what I speak of. I'll have one session on the White House and the U.S. politics, and it's the impact of this election on uh, our country and the world in the days ahead. But most of the conference will be on prophecy, uh, final day prophecies, uh, Israel, God's plan for the state of Israel and um, about Christians uh, in some of the plight of the Christians throughout the Middle East. So 
that's where most of the focus will be, Neil. Bill Koenig is our guest. He's been a White House correspondent for more than 15 years. Back in 2004, he authored a book called Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel. A hundred thousand of those books are in print. He just released his new book called Revealed, Obama's Legacy. And you can also access a 15-page news report that comes out weekly called Koenig's Eye View of the White House. Bill Koenig is our guest. You can call us on 1-800-316-316. We're going to get into some issues talking about Bible prophecy, the nation of Israel, and what happens when nations come against Israel. But let's take a call or two. Let's hear Bill from Deborah in Brisbane in Queensland. Hello, Deborah. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, how are you? Very well, Deborah. What are your thoughts on our conversation this hour? Well, the Obama? Yeah. I'm furious. You're I curious mean, or furious? Did you say curious am, or furious? I am furious. I am furious that the man can stand there and he can take $11 trillion from prophecy, from um, the pouring out of spirit, pour himself there in that position and then declare the state above everything else. Where is the state above everything else? And where is the 444 seal better than anything that was to come beforehand? It is not. It is a trap, and they are all trapped in it. Uh, Bill Koenig, your thoughts on what Deborah is sharing? Well, I don't know if I completely understand what she is speaking about, but I have, you know, I obviously watch all our presidents, and I know that the Lord... Uh, allows the people that represent our country to be elected. Uh, 2008 and 2012, uh, McCain was defeated and uh, Mitt Romney was defeated. And there was a lot of Christians that were very, very disappointed about that. And, you know, it's, you know, there's things that could have happened that could have stopped that. But, you know, that that's one thing. And I think as a Christian, we have to keep in perspective that God uses each one of these presidents uh, FDR uh, signed a letter with the king of Saudi Arabia saying if Israel ever wanted to become a state, he would contact him. A week later, he died and it was replaced by Harry Truman, who made sure Israel became a state. Uh, Richard Nixon's mother believed that one day as president, he would have the opportunity to be there to defend Israel at a crucial time in their history. And sure enough, Dick Nixon provided Israel with two to three times what Golda Meir requested the United States right after their Yom Kippur attack. Uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Carter, despite the fact he's not a friend of Israel, uh, he had a significant role in the, in the Camp David agreements that led to the next peace process that George Bush started. And then, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan did everything he could to see the Iron Curtain come down, and Jews from Russia and Germany moved home to Israel. So, you know, despite uh, our annoyance and displeasure of what the presidents have done uh, when it comes to Israel and the Middle East, every one of them has had a, especially in the last uh, seven or eight, have had a significant prophetic purpose uh, which will eventually bring everything to completion. So that's the way I look at it, Neil, from that perspective. I hope, I, I don't know if I completely understood what Deborah was saying, but. This uh, is I think we've still got Deborah on the phone. And uh, Deborah, I think what you were saying is you're furious about the idea of raising civil rights above religious rights. Uh, is, Deborah, is, are you still with us? That, that's what you were, uh, you were indicating, isn't it? Yes. 
I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah is not the White House, to me anyway. As far as I'm concerned, as soon as you turn into Sodom and Gomorrah, I turn my back. Hmm. Now, well, you know, it's interesting, the scriptures, say, the scriptures say that in the final days it will be as in the time of Noah. And, you know, we are rapidly, you know, the time of Noah, I mean, because of the sins of the world, the, the Lord destroyed the world, except for Noah and his family. So, uh, you know, we are, I think it's breathtaking for, for the, that's probably too kind a of term to use, but uh, how fast things are moving toward that conclusion. When you look at what uh, Jesus spoke of in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, wars and rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdoms, nations against nations, pestilence on and on, as in the days of Noah, uh, you know, we are moving rapidly into that period of time, and I, I don't think things are going to change and go back in the other direction. I think it's just going to keep building until Jesus returns. Deborah from Brisbane, thanks so much for your call today on 2020. Let's take another call. Anne is in Allen View in Queensland. Hello, Anne. Welcome along to 2020. Uh, yes, good morning, Neil. Um, I'm going back to um, same-sex marriage, um, just raising, I'm totally against it, by the way, but marriage was always a religious ceremony, never one that was um, ordained by the state until, and as far as I understand it, until more recent times. Why don't we go back to where all unions are civil unions, and if people want a religious ceremony, then we call that a marriage? Uh, good question, good comment too, Anne. And let's get a, uh, a, a an idea of what's happened in the US with churches when it comes to uh, the idea of civil unions and religious ceremonies. Bill, what's happened since the law change in the US? Well, it's uh, been very interesting, Neil, if, and, and also you're a caller there. Uh, it's been very interesting to follow over the last 10, 12 years the it used to be the Protestant churches were pretty much 70-30, 80-20 no, and, and over a period of time it's to the point right now where the Protestant churches, uh, according to a Pew Research poll, about 57% favor same-sex marriage. I'm, I'm sorry, the Catholics, 57%, 62% of the Protestants, but only 20% of the evangelicals approve same-sex marriage. So it has moved definitely in that direction, but the evangelicals overwhelmingly do not favor same-sex marriage. And uh, I, I think when you had 33 or 34 states say no, and all of a sudden we have it today, I, I think people are still reeling from that decision by the Supreme Court. And from Alan View, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. Uh, I think uh, what's in some respect is happening with some churches in Australia is that, and I did hear a report uh, recently, and I don't have those details in front of me, but I think the Presbyterian Church in Australia was considering whether uh, their ministers would actually uh, sign those documents uh, that might marry uh, people from uh, same-sex uh, background, uh, and uh, they would simply revert to doing a, a religious blessing on marriages where where people would actually uh, marry in a civil context. Uh, let's not get caught up in all of that today because there's so much else to talk about. Bill, let me come back to uh, the issues of Bible prophecy. You began to enlarge on some of those things. Bible prophecy, the nation of Israel. Uh, if we were reflecting on some of the things that you wrote in your book, Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel, 
Israel. It's quite controversial to, uh, and some people might say, uh, you know, cherry-picking dreadful disasters and linking those to what might be bad decisions, bad biblically uh, aligned decisions. Uh, but when we talk about prophecy, is all that a part of uh, of what you see as what happens in perhaps a, a last days and end times, Israel in prophecy? Yeah, this is a this is a really a, and I appreciate the way you, your perspective, Neil. You know, I I kept seeing that every time Arafat would come to the United States, we had these catastrophic events. I mean, the biggest earthquake in many years, the largest tornado outbreaks, uh, significant hurricanes, and every time he would show up, uh, something like this would happen the same day or 24 hours, or even a a prime minister f- uh, from Israel like Rabin. Uh, during 93, 94, I mean, he, he would come, and these major things would happen uh, at the time he was in America. Our, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was in Bill Clinton's office uh, being really pressured by uh, Clinton uh, to make peace with Arafat, who was on his way to the United States, uh, and Clinton was going to try to put the two of them together. And the Monica Lewinsky case broke the day that Netanyahu was at the off- in, in the office. Are, are, are digressing a bit. Uh, the perfect storm. President Bush was in Madrid, Spain, calling on Israel to give up uh, the West Bank, which is considered Judea, Samaria, and East Jerusalem. I mean, these are key parts of the Abrahamic covenant land, the everlasting covenant that God gave to Abraham and his descendants. Um, you know, 9-11, 17 days before 9-11, President Bush was working with Crown Prince Abdullah on a plan to divide uh, Jerusalem, a uh, plan to give up Judea and Samaria according to the UN resolutions, and then calling for a Palestinian state, something his father or Clinton would never do. And they finished the work on 9-10, and then 9-11 happened. And when I speak about this, I say the God of Israel did not produce the evil of 9-11, but he didn't stop this. Uh, and then one last here, uh, Katrina, after 9,500 Jews were forced out of their home, uh, that God had put on their heart to occupy the home and the land of Israel. Uh, within a couple hours of uh, President Bush congratulating Ariel Sharon, uh, near the Bahamas, just off the Florida coast, this tropical depression formed into the largest catastrophe in U.S. history. The same terminology used to explain what had happened in Israel during the disengagement was the same terminology being used to explain what had happened after Katrina. And, you know, this has happened. These are all-time record-setting events. This is a mystery. But I can tell you when it happens, the greater the pressure in Israel, you feel this catastrophic, you you feel this uh, collective fury or fire uh, when when this happens. And left behind, unfortunately, for the people that have had to deal with these consequences, uh, very catastrophic times. And Bill, is it fair to say that even if you were arguing with any of those uh, decisions and uh, the catastrophic things that happened, uh, even if you found uh, grounds to argue with those or even if you held doubts, uh, what is beyond doubt is that God is actively involved in the affairs of Israel. And I guess that's what it illustrates when you start to draw the dots uh, between those events and those decisions. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, Neil, we've had a lot of events here in America, but every European leader, whether it's Angela Merkel, whether it was Tony Blair when he was the Prime Minister of uh, the UK, or whether it's uh, Sarkozy in France, 
anybody involved uh, in Europe uh, that filled a void when the American presidents were in a campaign or running, same thing happened to their country. So, yes, it, it's uh, yes, there is no doubt, uh, you know, that uh, Jerusalem is significant. Uh, God's time clock is Jerusalem. If you want to know where things stand biblically and prophetically, watch what is happening with this city of Jerusalem and also the state of Israel. And, uh, you know, I just watch this day in, day out. We have a website, uh, watch.org, watch.org, as you've mentioned, Neil. And we watch this 365 days out of the year. And we, we watch the patterns over and over again. And there is no doubt that the God of Israel is still on the throne, and he's very concerned, and but he's allowing these events to come to completion prior to, to our Lord's return. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Rosemary in Melbourne in Victoria. Hello, Rosemary. Welcome along. Um, got my name wrong, but from Queensland. But oh, sorry. Who have I got here? That's all right. Don't what's, worry. What's your name? Um, I'm just saying... Um, Yes, well... Um, Sorry, what is your name? Sorry. I have to remember... Tell what me what your name like is, please. When Jesus... Is this Wendy, is it? On, ...walking on the earth, and, um, you know, how bad it was when in, in, the, in the state, in, the, the, you know, the Roman Empire was... It was completely chaotic. And what did Jesus say? Give, all he said was, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. And I think, you know, people can get so caught up with so many things, and the main thing is to be salt and light. And as we see the evil day approaching, what manner of woman or man or young person ought we to be? We're to be salt and light in this world while today is still today. Some good thoughts in that. Let's get a response from Bill. Uh, Bill, in some sense, uh, all of these things chaotic going on around us. Uh, the response of Christian believers, though, I think is uh, is where uh, our listener is is taking us. What are your thoughts? I, I totally agree. It's uh, Anne Graham Lotz has a great saying: "It's not falling apart; it's falling into place." And this is also a time for us as believers to be sharing the gospel to family and friends and whoever the Lord puts in front of our uh, each day, um, you know, to share the hope in Jesus. Uh, these are the final days. These are, we are watching Bible prophecy play out right before our eyes. Every major event that the Bible speaks of in the final days, the, mark, the final day markers are in play. So this is, you know, pray for your lost loved ones. Pray for those you work with. You know, pray for those people that the Lord has put in front of you each day and share Jesus because that is the only hope that this world has. And we are living in challenging times, but the great hope is his reappearing. Thank you to that listener from Victoria. Let me come back to uh, Christians and Obama. Uh, because uh, we're, we're talking about Obama's legacy. And you mentioned a little earlier in our conversation, Bill, uh, that uh, there's almost the point where Obama has seemingly turned a blind eye to uh, Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. 
Uh, and uh, when we talk about religious rights being uh, lowered and civil rights being raised, and this may be something that's common in the entire Western world or what the, the church is facing now. Uh, but, uh, but when it comes to Christians, when it comes to Obama, and when it comes to perhaps even your prediction of what might happen beyond the next election, uh, what are your thoughts about Christianity in the world today? Well, unfortunately, here in the United States, it's um, less and less people are uh, involved in Christianity. Uh, there are people that are falling away, and, and in, in many ways, this is biblical, as uh, they talk about, as the Scriptures speak of in Thessalonians, uh, the falling away, the apostasy. And unfortunately, that's happening in America. We have uh, 1% of our youth that have a biblical worldview. Uh, the people that follow the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that have a a very serious uh, love of God, but also a fear of God, uh, is is very small percentage of our population, and things have dramatically changed. And then when we spend time in Europe and, and go there and speak, uh, boy, there's so many few, there's so few Christians, born-again believers in Europe. I, I understand maybe one and a half, uh, one to one and a half percent, according to friends of mine that, uh, that do evangelism throughout Europe. And, you know, uh, we're seeing uh, great things happen in the Muslim countries. We're seeing many Muslims coming to Jesus. There is, whether it's Iraq or Syria, in, in their difficult times that they're dealing with, or whether it's Iran, uh, you know, dreams and visions. We have a friend that does a lot of uh, uh, work, uh, evangelism, throughout the Middle East, and he's written a couple books about it. Uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, through dreams and visions, is is uh, appealing to Arabs that are giving their life to Jesus, and it's happening uh, in Israel. There's a lot of believers in Israel right now, and um, Australians in uh, New Zealand, uh, more and more believers uh, as well. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the situation in Australia right now, but I can tell you right now, we're moving so quick, Neil, that I think uh, more and more people are starting to say, you know, secular people are saying, hey, Things are not going in the right direction. I'm uncomfortable with the way things are going, and that's the opportunity we have to point people to their only hope. Oftentimes we'll, uh, we'll presume that God is allowing these things to happen, and uh, he's yes. the one who's directing history. Uh, he's the yes. one who's the missionary God uh, who has all of these things in mind, uh, whether it's uh, all of these other chaotic issues, uh, whether it's the lowering of the reputation of the Christian church. Uh, there is a circumstance, isn't there, that uh, while we might think, uh, you know, we can get upset about whether the government actually favours Christianity, uh, that's a little bit irrelevant because it's God who's the one we put our trust in, not necessarily governments. Not It's not Obama, it's not Trump, it's not Clinton, but it's putting faith in God because he's the one who's outworking history. No doubt about it. I think, uh, you know, we, we definitely uh, keep believing that and know that for for a fact. We know that for truth. problem we've had in America is Christians have quit participating. Uh, they haven't voted. Uh, they haven't, uh, you know, when we have uh, mayors of Houston, uh, mayor of Charlotte, uh, attempting to f- uh, force uh, bathroom bills that uh, put a lot of stress and strain on young people, uh, you know, 9% of the voters showed up in Houston and elected a mayor that put put the pastors at, at, at unease, and that became a very co- controversial issue. Or North Carolina, the bathroom bill, uh, based on your genetics uh, because of transgenderism. You know, here in America, Neil, Christians have to participate because uh, we need to participate. We have a, a respo- constitutional responsibility to vote, but unfortunately, 
uh, the other side, the people that oppose us, have been much more active politically, and, and unfortunately we've uh, experienced the consequences. Time for one more call. Let's hear from Percy in Queensland. Hello, Percy. Welcome along. Oh, yes. Percy, you might like to turn your radio down in the background, but what are your thoughts? Yes, I'm just on the way to do that. Yeah, Neil, I'm just uh, ringing up about the, we really got to understand what Jesus said and what God has in plan, as you said before. Everything has to come to pass in what we read in the Bible. And right. Jesus says, you're in the world, but you're not of it. And we are to see how the world operates. We're seeing them now, but we are separated from them. But it looks like we are all playing a part like Moses, going to Pharaoh and saying, oh, this, you need to do this. But they're not going to change. They're going to keep doing what they're doing because you know, they are of the world. And, uh, and God's word will always come to pass because it will never fail. And uh, this is what we've got to understand. But I know the urgency of each individual as well going and to confront this, but we're not going to put a stop to it. You can't stop. Percy, we're used to the situation where our governments used to do things in a relatively righteous way. That's changing dynamically in the Western world. Uh, your thoughts uh, very quickly, Bill, on, on what Percy's sharing. Uh, well, well put. Uh, the faith of our forefathers was remarkable faith. It uh, is inspiring of... Uh, you know, uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, uh, some of our modern-day uh, uh, men. Uh, you know, you know, we are, we were a Judeo-Christian country. Our 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 Constitution, a republic. We're a republic. We're not a democracy. We hear democracy a lot, but we were a constitutional republic. And Christianity has always been such a significant part of our country. Uh, just as the British were blessed in the late 1800s and early 1900s, uh, we have kind of taken over that mantle, and we are sharing the gospel throughout the world. But unfortunately, um, we have got away from our Judeo-Christian values, and uh, there's been a lot of slippage, Neil, and, and that's why we're suffering the consequences. But we know the end of the book, and that's the good news. Well, time has run out. Thank you so much to Percy from Queensland. Uh, let me point people, there's a couple of books we've been talking about. No doubt uh, there might be listeners who might like to get a hold of your book called Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel. But the other book that we've been talking about, your brand new book, just out in the last six or so weeks, is called Revealed, Obama's Legacy. And uh, about my book and how to get my book and it yep. just... That's it. And uh, so uh, there's also, uh, let me point people also to watch.org and people can get a hold of the Koenig's Eye View from the White House, a 15-page report uh, that Bill Koenig writes each week. Uh, Bill Koenig, great getting your insights today and really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. You are coming to Australia. Primarily, you mentioned Townsville in Queensland. Are there any other uh, cities that you'll be speaking at? Uh, no, the main the main focus of this uh, this trip it's going to be a quick trip because of the U.S. election, but will be a Christian Friends for Israel event uh, not this weekend but the following weekend Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Townsville, and that's uh, Patrick Russell there. I might throw in a plug there for Christian Friends of Israel, and also Neil. Thanks for mentioning our books. They can be found on Amazon.com, Amazon.com, or or possibly through you all, but Amazon.com, and they also have a, the Kindle version of Eye to Eye and also Revealed. Bill Koenig, U.S. political commentator, editor of Koenig International News. You can find that at watch.org. Bill, great talking to you. Thanks so much for taking time to talk to us today on 2020.
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.